is everybody in now? Yes. Are the doors sealed? They are. Release the fun. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the 80th ever, we're now Octogenarians, 80th Shut Up and Sit Down podcast. This podcast coming live from the Birmingham NEC UK Games Expo Board Game Festival. I need to inhale. It is a podcast all about two men next to me. One of them is Matthew Lees, the other one is Quentin Smith. I'm Paul Dean. Hi. That was good. We'll keep these ones. They're better <laughs> than great. yesterday. This is a podcast all about board games, card games, role-playing games, all the games that you can play this weekend at the UK Games Expo. But also, I heard it's also about Vikings. You know what? For tell, me... Tell me about some Vikings, because I need to know about this. Well, I, yeah, I got a text message from Matt, because people um, who haven't been to the UK Games Expo might not know that there is a small Iron Age society that sets up outside the expo halls. I've seen them on their phones in their tents. (laughs) (laughs) Unlike Viking Tinder. Uh, Back in the day, you had to be like, down shops, do you want any flint? (laughs) And then they wouldn't reply, and you'd be like, come on, I'm going to get eaten by something. That was some, like, real observational comedy. That was... (laughs) No, I liked it. It was Thank a, you. It was an actual joke. Which I'm is, glad somebody liked it. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I went down to ask like, sort of what this stuff was about. And uh, it turns out that uh, we talked to a sort of family of Vikings, um, a daddy Viking, a mummy Viking. They and, teach uh, them to fight young. I saw people... The boy had an axe. Yeah. It, was, it was like basically God of War. So the thing that happened <laughs> is I, they told me that they do this basically every weekend. And actually, you guys might not know, there are tents out there. They sleep in those tents. Mm. Um, they cook meals at the actual campfire. They try and eat. You sound like someone who's never been camping. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this flimsy thing, and they sleep in it. Yeah, There's I mean, no sink. I do wonder. Like, I bet they use the, the thing I love toilets, particularly though about them sleeping out there yeah. is they must have like people who've just seen to see been to see Rihanna in concert, like drunkenly warbling around. At two in the They're morning. not there all year, Matt. No, I know, but, yeah, I remember, but other, you remember other events are on. Yeah, do you remember time? last year when we just like got caught in a, a tsunami of Take That fans? Oh yeah, yeah. A man walking around wearing a Gary Barlow mask, just doing this in front of people, trying to space them out. <laughs> it had been a long week, and it was not needed. I'll tell you what, if you're a Viking, Take That fans, pretty quite easy pickings. <laughs> uh, but yeah, they were telling me, what was awesome about these guys is I was talking about like, oh, so you make your own food, you know, like, do you have yeast? And they're like, well, yeah, but it's wild yeast. And for a history nerd like me, this is like, oh, this is awesome. And uh, they fight with their weapons, but they fight with blunted steel weapons. And like, as you're talking to these guys, you realize like, they're really tough, right? Hang on, these are not like the LARP like, kind of Right, okay, soft. so this you... is what I wanted to say on the, on the podcast, because this, this was an amazing cultural experience for me, because there are all these tents and there are the Vikings, there's a cook fire. And they have these steel weapons, and the, the sort of um, the partner of the Viking I was talking to, uh, her Viking name was Scar, because she, said, she was, <laughs> said to me in a grumpy way, it's like, yeah, it's a real problem. I've been hit in the head with an axe. I've had a tooth knocked out with a spear. But I just heal so fast that I don't get any scars. And so, and then I pointed out to these like sort of tents, other tents nearby, they're in a roped off enclosure where the LARPers are. And I was like, so are they with you? And they went, no. <laughs> So it turns out, me and maybe a lot of other attendees from UK Games Expo have been pigeonholing these actual Vikings with LARPers, when actually it's like, well, as I was saying to my friend as I was walking away, like, if I got my tooth knocked out with a spear in learning to fight, 
I would not want to be compared to someone with a padded weapon, like running around, like throwing fireballs. At the files. same time, and I hope there's no one in the room who's holding a spear at the moment. <laughs> Millie, you did, you did stop people from bringing in spears, right? Might be a couple of spears. <laughs> okay, might be a couple of spears in now. I'm just going to say this from a slightly lower position behind the table. I kind of feel like in 2018, what are you doing fighting people with spears for no reason? What are you doing playing board games all the time? <laughs> board games don't lose your teeth. Or other people. It's, it seems quite violent. Look, I'm, I feel I, like... I, I am I the only person who's not like... We, we, had a violent, we had a violent board game time last night. No, we didn't. We did. There was a lot of slapping. Oh, that is not a game. We were we playing were Snap, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We and functionally were. were. <clears throat> anyway, it turns out, if you have time to go talk to some Vikings outside of the UK Games Expo, you should do it because they're awesome. They really know their stuff. I, I thought they were just, just really cool. Just don't challenge them to a fight. Don't. Genuine. actual weapons. Yeah, and they know how to use them. He was, the guy was prodding me with a spear going, you see this when I do this? You can't do anything. <laughs> you can't do anything. <laughs> you just can't. And I couldn't. I was like, yeah, fair. Uh, we're going to talk about... <laughs> we're going to be talking about some board games today. We're going to be talking about Destination X, uh, which is a game about... Uh, and what? Being hiding. And gross national product. We're going to be talking about Lowlands, which is a game of drowning sheep. We're going to be talking about Lifeform, which is a game where someone is an alien and everyone else doesn't like that. We're going to be talking about Starship Samurai, which is, Paul? Aliens taking over bits of space and then moving counters up and down a lot. Imagine that. We're going to be talking about <laughs> Quantified, which is a game about losing your data, then your job, then your friends, then your... <laughs> legal oh. rights then you're uh, actually that was awesome uh, I'm looking forward to talking about Quantified and we're mm. going to be talking a bit about Museum a game that I loved because I am a nerd no it's great I filled a room there's full of there's nothing boats. wrong with being a nerd I'm a nerd I'm just a different kind of nerd to Quinn's Speaking of which, yeah, which means I'm going to call him a nerd. If there's call a, me a nerd. A theme of, yes. If there's a theme deride of the each other, yeah. I don't want to deride you. Well, I really, I look for any opportunity, frankly. Yeah. To just take me down a peg. Knock you down a peg. Knock mm. you down. Yeah, you're Put fired. Put him in the bin. Blimey. <laughs> Uh, so, we're going to be talking about Destination X. If there's a theme for this podcast, it's games that are accidentally educational, and that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, Destination X is a game where Paul was a spy, wasn't yeah. it, Paul? This is a yeah. small box card game, and Paul, what did you do? I so, uh, every round there were six countries, and I could hide in one of the countries. They're randomly selected countries, and you deal out these cards, and I'm hiding, I was hiding behind a pillow, and I had info <laughs> about all of these countries. I'd leaf through, and I'd be like, oh, I'm going to hide in Argentina. Leaf through to Argentina. All the other players have got cards with questions on them. And they're asking me things like, what's your, what language do people speak? Or what's your history? Or what's your GDP? Or like, what, how tall is the tallest peak? Uh, and ideally, you've picked something that's difficult to hide in because it might be like some of the other countries. But then sometimes somebody asks you really obvious, like it might be the one island on the board. And they ask you something like, what's the highest peak? And there aren't any highest peaks on your tiny Caribbean like island. So you go, oh, send me as high. And they go, oh, you're on the Federated States of Micronesia, which isn't in the Caribbean. But, you know, it's this sort of thing. So I but think this I was, I was good. Just want to get that out now. You were good. I hid you, well. You won and it was insufferable. But the thing is, <laughs> this kind of sounds like probably a show of hands who thinks this sounds boring. Do, 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 do. Be honest. Go on, it's be fine. honest. Oh, they're really nice. I feel like this is a nice crowd. Maybe like 5% of this audience thinks it's boring. Um, it wasn't boring. You, you guys are wrong. You put your hands up with audience participation and you made a fool of yourselves. Wow. Well, they did. Grim. Because this game was pretty great. And the moment that it was awesome was when uh, uh, we played a card. There were six countries we knew basically nothing about. And we said, like, what is your main agricultural export? Foodstuffs. Oh, God, that was the word. No, that, <laughs> was, that was main industry. I'm thinking of um, Artichoke Gate. Oh, oh, yeah. I came 
from artichoke? Do you remember what country? Yes, just, I do. Yes, and I will never now. forget ever again. It was the main agricultural product was artichokes. And then it was a discussion of like, where do artichokes come from? Yeah, we had a big chat about it. I mean, admittedly, this game was very difficult for us as the kind of counter spies because we were all uh, ignorant and stupid, <laughs> uh, which meant our world knowledge was just appalling. And uh, in the end, we kind of fudged it. And when we know that there's, you know, like Jerusalem artichokes are kind of a thing. And on the map, like Georgia looked like it wasn't that, but there was a tiny map on the cards. We're like, it looks like it's pretty close to Jerusalem. We were really struggling. Yeah, we literally said that Paul was in Georgia because artichokes came from Georgia. And we were cracking up because we imagined that, you know, it's a 21st century sort of spy game. You know, maybe we've got people who are gonna like kick down a door and shoot Paul in the head. And it was like, you know, you imagine being on the line to the operators being like, we're pretty sure artichokes come from Georgia. So yeah, kill that guy. <laughs> Just the least researched spies. You anyway, know what? turns I, I out. Just realized, where do, do artichokes come the, from? Um, where do well, artichokes come right, from? Fine. Does, does, does anyone want to hazard a guess? For first a country that their biggest export of food stuff, the biggest export of food was artichokes? Everyone in this audience is right now thinking, I waited yeah, no. half an hour in the audience. Have a guess, have a guess. What do you reckon? Argentina. Very close. Very it was close. Peru. It was Peru. How which is you? South America. Pretty close. Round really of close. applause for the, <laughs> the front row. Pretty close. But the, the trick with this game, the thing that caught us out was the fact that we have this little hand of cards of things you can ask, like what's the religion in this country? Or like, you know, what's the GDP? We only had two or three each in our hands and we could tell the other players which ones we had, but it would obviously be information that then the spy would have for future rounds. And we had to find him three times with just the cards that we had in, this, in our hands and a very small deck. So you got really good ones. Like you think religion, you think that's gonna be a really useful one, but then, when you use it is the key thing. And we had a lot of big discussions about trying to work it out was, like- this mm. is, Weirdly for an educational game, the premise we're describing is really simple, but the actual mechanical flow of it was incredible because we're having discussions like, well, because you don't draw new cards, you only get 16 and you have to catch the spy three times. So occasionally if six countries came up, we were like, well, I don't think we're ever gonna find him. Let's just guess at random. Yeah. One in six, we kill the wrong man, that's fine. But- um, I don't think there's any mention of murdering people in the books. We should, this is just us. It's just our local flair. Which is bad. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, and then, or, or being like, I don't want to ask this question now, yeah. but we've narrowed it down to one in three. So maybe now we take the... Yeah. I want to say Everyone's shot, got a I'll bit stop. of knowledge. It's like, you were in Morocco. What language do they speak? Oh, yeah. Well, like, you were you know, just like, in Morocco. And we're like, what was the currency in Morocco, Matt? And you just... He's like... <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, we got shafted in that case because I think we... The information we got was the currency started with the letter D and actually all six of the locations at that point had variations of dollars. So yeah. we had no chance. Yeah, it's, but, um, it's some of them were like... I was surprised. It took a while, I think, for you to get Riga as the capital of Latvia. Yeah. But when that came up, I was like, ah, because one of the turns I hid in Latvia, and as soon as the capital name came up, I was like, oh, if anybody knows that, which eventually somebody on the team was suddenly like, oh yeah, it is that. It, but we weren't some sure. Some of them just goose you it's right away. It's such fuzzy knowledge. It reminded me of code names in that you're making guesses, but it's that pleasant kind of, it's not, I know what I don't know. Semi-informed. I'm really yeah. pretty sure. But Paul well, mentioned- you say, yeah, I've been to this place in the world, it's right next to it, and they're mainly this religion, so I think- I just enjoyed having discussions when um, someone played a card of what's the main industry, and then Paul said foodstuffs, which was so useless, but then it led to just, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed the conversation of like yeah. Korea. South Korea was one of the things, it's like, there's no way that's their main export, mm. but how sure can we be? Yep. Are yep. we willing to bet this whole game that Foodstuffs is not South Korea's main income? I Which enjoyed it now a I lot it, more than I expected as someone who's not really a fan of geography or facts. 
Um, <laughs> or knowledge in general. Or knowledge, no. The conversation was what was fun. Yeah. 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 It actually, as a spy hiding, it was really interesting listening to like your reasoning and your discussion of like, I, he might be here because of this, or this country's about the size of this one. Do they have similar populations? No, they don't, because their geography's different. All this sort of stuff is Yeah, we were making some wild stuff. We were like, well, they've got loads of mountains here, so we were trying to make estimations about populations yeah. based on well, that. Well, the, the dumbest was someone was like, I've been skiing in this country, therefore it probably doesn't have many people in because you because <laughs> to ski you need loads of room. <laughs> that was something someone actually said. We had, had several. Again, we had to clarify. We lost at this game. <laughs> what awful! Uh, so that's Destination X. If you're looking for a small card game that is. Um, Maybe surprisingly it, good not since timeline have I played a game that teaches me so much but yeah. it's so fun you know yeah. it was as I said at the time it didn't feel to me like the sort of traditional board game I play these days it reminded me of the sort of game you play in like a caravan holiday with your family mm. but I actually think this is good and it yeah. becomes quite a nice memory because yeah. it's really tense yeah because you get you know it's you pick a country and you lose or you win you know yeah uh, great uh, but ooh, we're just going to talk through these games in the order we played them but next up is I think maybe the best thing we played at the show oh, really Paul wasn't so I didn't try this. It was Lowlands. It was Lowlands. You put sheep. Am I correct? First of all, you put some sheep between some walls. Lowlands. He did. <laughs> we'll get to that. Oh, yeah. No, don't spoil that one. That was by far the best thing that happened <laughs> in the game. And also an act of incredible animal cruelty. Um, so... Lowlands is essentially a game that it borrows heavily from the animal management in Agricola. You have a grid of like pasture, you're all Dutch farmers, and um, you can put animals in sort of uh, fences. It's also in Caverna if you've played that game. And interestingly, the first page of the manual has like a little cartoon Uwe Rosenberg in a Dutch outfit being like, I approve of this game. And he consulted on it. And here's the twist though. I think it's, like, a lot of people are talking to me now about Nussfjord and some of the other recent Uwe Rosenberg games. It's, I think, like, I think it's better than most of Uwe Rosenberg's games. And I like, I'm saying that liking his games. It was so good. It was so much faster than so many of his games. It was, um, anyway, we should also explain the big twist, which is that you're in Holland and the game is called Lowlands and there's this thing called the sea. <laughs> now. It's gonna get you. Here's the thing. Lowlands, ocean boys gonna get you. Ocean's taught me that sheep don't float. <laughs> Um, so the central mechanic, in addition to like, oh, you're building fences, oh, you've got to have sheep, oh, you can breed your sheep, oh, that's great. But if you don't build a dam, which you're collaborating on with all players. A dike. We're in, we're in yeah, we've got a dike. dike. Yes, yeah. my bad. Um, anyone can add to this dike, anyone. But the, you kind of, when you're building this big collaborative dike, what bit do you start first? You probably build the bit that protects your farm first, which means if players don't work together to build enough dike, then it's your friend's sheep that get swept away. Mm -hmm. But the super interesting thing, and I don't see this often in Uwe Rosenberg's games, you know, you get points for building the dam, you get points for building the sheep. Building the sheep. <laughs> I don't know how... There was animal. a point early on in the demo where we were being uh, demoed this game very early in the morning and... Uh, don't the, tell this story. The very kind lady who was, who was demoing the game said, at the end of the round, uh, there's breeding, which means for every two sheep you have, you get another sheep. And Quinn has just said, how does that work? <laughs> In, no in, a, in a way that he immediately had to go, I'm sorry, that, that, was, a, that was a dumb joke that I made for friends. It was like, I don't know. You, uh. But then there was a point where there was a, what, an optional upgrade later on, which was a house that was like, oh, wait, for every I... four sheep, you get another sheep. And I was like, no, but how does that work? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, but the, the twist that is super, I found maybe my favorite thing in it, or no, not my favorite, but just so clever, is that um, as water overflows from the dam, no one's sheep gets washed away until the very end of the game. 
But um, the more like crap, the more obvious it becomes that you're you're building a dike that's just awful, and that you're mm. like you're putting some logs down and then running away, and it's like that's not going to work. Um, every like at fixed points in the game, sort of like an inspector, I imagine, comes along, looks at your dike, and goes, "Oh no," um, because clearly your farms are toast. But whenever that happens, all sheep in the game become worth less mm -hmm. because everyone knows they're going to be swept away. Um, but all your dike work becomes better. So like as the player who'd invested tons in building the dike, like you guys didn't, which meant- I did nothing. So all your sheep were gonna get stripped away, but then I had the weird thing of like, oh, my dike work is now really valuable. So I wanna do more of it, but obviously I don't wanna do so much that the dike actually holds. Yes. Which means your sheep would be fine. Yep. And then I would have built a dike for no reason. So it's very, it's one of those games that is like on the surface is extremely dry looking, but then actually like that as a core mechanic of the fact that you wanna do a really good job of, of making sure that there isn't a flood, but you want a bit of a flood because you want everyone else's sheep to just bob away into the see whilst you're fine <laughs> which is in itself a bit mean meanwhile i just like i'm not building a dike i don't care i'm just gonna sell all my sheep i was kind of a bit of a doomsday this was, this was really clever as well that yeah matt was like oh well oh my sheep are all gonna float away which means before the end of the game i will just sell them all and you bought all the buildings yeah you know, pouring your wooden clay and stuff into building buildings that meant you had you could shear sheep which was a novelty i didn't even know you could shear sheep mm. it's amazing um <laughs> how does that work how does that work they have haircuts and you sell it they Got jumpers, you take them off and then you put them on. You. Uh, speaking of jumpers. It's like Oxfam, but animals. Who, who wants a gross fact about sheep? No. Do, 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 do. At least one person. One person there. So, sir, uh, what it is, during uh, lambing season, what you have is sometimes lambs die. Um, and also, sorry, sometimes ewes die. This is great. I'm talking about animals, death, and I'm getting it wrong. Um, but yeah, when uh, mothers die, you need to get the lambs with other sheep. And what you do is you take the sort of like skin of lambs that have passed away and you wrap other baby lambs in that same skin like a little jacket and they walk up to the new mum wearing a jacket and the mum thinks it's their kid because it's wearing the skin of their child. But no, it's good, it's a happy ending because that means the kid gets a parent, it's fine, no, don't, don't, no, this is good. It's like a more wholesome, positive way of making sausages. <laughs> okay? It's like a sausage go. for your family. Was this in the game? No. no. How do you know this? They were talking about I this. A, I read a book on yeah. shepherds. They were talking uh, about this this morning and I sort of zoned out. I was like, this is weird. Uh, a, shep a Shepherd's Life is a really good book that was on bestseller lists recently. It's about shepherds. It's loved, written really nicely by a farmer. And how often do you read like books that sort of espouse like agriculture and farming? It's cool. Not often. <laughs> and that's, I'm, no, true. no, I'm not being mean. Honestly, for once, I'm, I'm not being mean. Anyway, uh, yes, it's good. Yeah, well, I was basically, I tried to sell all my sheep and be a doomsday prepper and just be like, I don't care, they can't wash away if I don't have any more. That tactic <laughs> didn't work. Um, it was fascinating, there was enough options there, but what I really loved and what we found ourselves laughing a lot about was just the fact that you do have all of these, because the game is so focused on being like, you are just building some buildings, you're building fences. You're building sheep. And you're, you're building sheep through arcane methods that no one understands. <laughs> um, and then in the game, you hopefully you get points for how well you built the dam. And again, the other thing is like, sheep are worth less if you build a dam and it's not successful. But if everyone builds a dam and the dam's like solid, then that's worth. Then all your well. dam and all work your sheep is, useless, is yeah. worth loads of money. So it's a weird, 
economy of being like, how do I, which if, way do I go? If you think the dam is going to hold, then all you do is focus on sheep because sheep are going to be worth tons of money. But obviously if one player knows that, there's also a lovely mechanic where when you spend an action building a dam, you can choose a, you optionally can choose a player and invite them to build the dam with you, which it was such a small, simple rule, but it led to a lot of feel good moments of players being like, do you want to help? And yeah. And led to lots of really funny moments of, do you want to help? No. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that was weird though is because it has such a, it doesn't get fluffy and messy with too many things you can do in too many economies, which I think is why it ran smoothly and was a lot of fun. But you do have a lot of like flair with the buildings and stuff. Like I made a, a place that could make jam. Yes. And it basically meant I had to make a enclosure, a enclosure of fences around a bush, which was like a, a, a cherry bush or something. I don't know, not cherries. That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, and then I got a free sheep in there. So, but it was like, what's, I'm making jam and that's, I'm like attracting a sheep with jam. Yeah. We were trying to like work out what it was, but it ended up being hilarious. I was like ensnaring sheep with jam traps. I had a pet shop, which Your was- Your pet the, shop the, was the grimmest thing in the world. It was this lovely mechanic whereby, because the buildings are squares. If you've played Agricola, you know how it works. Um, so I built a pet shop, which is a building and it unlocked an ability that the gaps between two buildings buildings, any two buildings on my board, I could store a sheep in it. <laughs> so you just kind of have to imagine me wedging a sheep down an alleyway so it can't move or escape. This is my pet shop. Is it, is it just a sheep in an alleyway? <laughs> Would you like to buy the pet? I'm just it's, imagining this on Google Maps when you try and plot your route and it's all red because there's sheep in all the alleys and you can't go anywhere. Clark, uh, our friend, uh, built a building which it stored an incredible amount of sheep and we were like, what is that? Are you building a sheep condo? Because it stored more sheep than like a barn. And we were like, haha, yeah, it's a house for sheep. And it was a Dutch word, but it turns out it is literally a house where you sleep with your sheep, which in medieval times would have made a lot of sense because, you know, they're warm, I guess. But yeah, it turns out he was literally building a sheep condo. Anyway, the, I was thinking about this and like what I like about Agricola in theory is that, oh, you grow vegetables, you plant a vegetable and you get three vegetables or you have a, a two cows and then they uh, send a mail order catalog for a third cow yep. and receive it. Um, but like Agricola never goes further than that, like maybe mm. if you really, really, really focus in Feast of Odin or Feast for Odin or Agricola, you can get like a bunch of cows that breed like twice. Mm -hmm. But you can do nut stuff in Lowlands where it's like, I was gonna sell my sheep and it's like, well, I've got 12, so I'll get six more sheep. And I didn't even wanna sell them because the numbers got stratospheric. So mm -hmm. you start with two and then it becomes like two to four to eight to What were you 16. gonna do with all those sheep? I don't know, man. <laughs> they were gonna float away because I built the dam. It was just, it was so clean and simple. And actually I've been preferring themes which are really quite focused, you know? Yeah. And just sheep farming was more interesting to me than like, you're a farmer, you can plant anything. What do you wanna plant? Which is what most board games about farming do. Hmm. Or Stardew Valley, you know, it's like, no. You're gonna farm this one sheep because that's sheep, what sheep, farmers sheep. actually do. You know, it's like, yeah. Anyway, we've talked about this for too long, but yeah, it's just, great. it's really good. It's superb. You can expect to shut up and sit down review soon, but yeah, you get the chance to play it. Lowlands is over in the Z-Man booth. I think it's the best Euro game I've played in ages. Wow. Should we quickly talk about life form? Yeah. Oh, what's this? Uh, I don't even know what this is. People One might, of you is an alien, right? People might know Nemesis, which is the board game that's coming out that basically models Ridley Scott's Alien as a big oh, flashy yes. board game. It was a Kickstarter. Life form is, another board game that's a bit less flashy that's modeling like mm. one player is an alien everyone else is the crew of the ship trying to escape uh it's kind of a painstaking effort to have a scenario like that like a big ship with aliens hunting the crew uh and it's really a lot of efforts have been gone to to try and have as much of that flavor as possible. So you've got rules where the alien player can activate an android that goes berserk around the ship and starts killing people or you can hatch new podlings to make more 
aliens appear and it has a kind of weird Space Hulk style thing where you're moving these three different pieces around and this was a cool two of mechanic. them are blips and one mm. of them is real but only you know which is real and then you can kind of fake out the other players because there's a mechanic where you at any point can switch the position of a fake blip with a real alien but the other players can do it as well the, the humans could do it this and at was one so point cool. so I ran got... one towards them and then they flipped them because they're like no he's not going to get us and I just completely psyched them out and was about to eat another person there was a lot of stuff I really loved about it I love the fact that you all had a couple of people each there were six crew members I had to kill all six of the crew members to win the game but what was lovely is there was no elimination strictly speaking because mm -hmm. if I killed well, if one player's both of their characters got killed then they would then take over a they different have... kind of simple character a deck I wanted my characters to die yeah. which is maybe not an ideal thing because when you die you have an option you can become the ship's AI and mm -hmm. you get your own deck of cards you can like close doors and reroute power and just try and save people or you can be the cat and you get a cat, a deck of cat abilities that are like, you know, some of them are just like, you know, distract the alien or like, one of them is like you go into a room and you like meow and then everyone's like, oh, it's okay in that room and they can go into spooky rooms. Yeah, I actually thought that, that all that stuff was done in a way which thematically made tons of sense rather than being kind of goofy. Uh, well, I mean, I did take a photo of a few of the cards for the cat. Uh, pause on the controls. No, but I like that. Like it just causes something to happen because the cat walks over the buttons. But like the cat also chooses what happens. Like we were, uh, uh, we were joking about um, yeah. when, uh, when it's like the cat and the computer come to save the day. It's like we imagine the cat stubbing out a cigarette and being like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> uh, we also have um, one of the cat's cards, Discover Small Maintenance Alcove, and the cat can just like pour something and then like a battery falls out. Or my favorite, uh, one of the cat's cards is Claw Membranous Egg Wall. If the ship's cat is in a cocoon chamber, move the cocoon tracker one space to the left. Meow! <laughs> and just, the humans can't do that. The cat just walks up and meow. And That's because it will be an out. event or something. You see, I think what I like about it is it doesn't make sense from the perspective of you are a, a cat moving around being like, I must help these people. <laughs> <laughs> I will scratch the hell out of this egg. <laughs> I feel I'm, I'm helping. Uh, it's more like the idea of think of it cinematically. Like there would be that thing in the film. What are they going to do? And then the cat goes, beep, 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 and it just happens to open a door, which just is like, that's lucky. It does work in the... It in feels the, very like 80s cinema. In the cinema sense of like, you know, initially you have the crewman and the crewman die and then it might, the camera might start lingering on the cat more, which I think happens in Alien. Where it's like the cat isn't like a, a pivotal character until everyone else is dead. One of the bits of theming I really loved was that just that the alien gets fascinated with the cat. So oh, the cat's, yeah. the, if the cat's in the same room as it, then it just means that basically the alien just stops there basically and just spends a turn not doing anything because it's just watching this cat. <laughs> and it's like, that's pretty cool. I found as the alien, like it was quite fun to play. I had a big hand of cards. I had a lot of options of things I could work towards instead of triggering sort of diff different things I could work towards to make bad things happen for you guys. And there was a fun mechanic whereby I could even like take a, a, a guess at the end of the game of when I thought you would try and get on the escape trussle to leave. And if I guess right in terms of the timings, then I'm on it with you. And then, you know, there's a little showdown. It seemed to really have like a lot of detail like that. Like you guys could unlock the flamethrower and but maybe it was a bit too bitty. It's weird to have a game that, where it has like a hundred mechanics. Or like we saw this in the recent War of the Ring video where it's like, rather than someone sort of coming up with a vision for a game and then coming up with all the mechanics that work, it's like, no, we're going to have all the mechanics which are just things that happen in Alien. You know, like from the Rampage. Like some of the stuff deviated a bit, but basically it was like, I don't know, I guess it's not sad exactly, but it would have been, it, I'd love to see all that imagination put into something that isn't just, you know, ripped from a film.
Yeah. Um, I didn't have the best time as, I mean, we only played a very brief game, but I'd be curious to compare it to the other raft of like alien themed yeah, games yeah. that are coming out. I also wonder if it, it was something that might just be more fun with less people. Cause I felt like you guys weren't really getting to do enough on your turns as mm. four people versus one alien. I felt like I was just getting into it and having fun. But I think especially, I always think like that, that whole blip mechanic in Space Hulk, if people have played Space Hulk or seen it, that whole thing of like having things on the map that you're not sure if there's really much there yeah. at all. Yeah. It's so cool. I agree. And being able to swap them. And I kind of, I guess, wanted to see like a whole game based around the blip mechanic mm. rather than like, it's the blip mechanic. And also we're going to have 25 more pages of rules so you can simulate the movie Alien by Ridley Scott. Yeah, it did feel a bit like a kind of love letter to the film in a way. And that's fine. It just yeah. might not be right for us. No, yeah. Uh, we could move on to something that is... Oh, should we have a brief deviation into... As long as we're in space. You want to stay in space for Starship Samurai. How did you get on Which with I the, tried. the samurais in space? Well, Were they nice to you? Well, so I was excited because it's by Plaid Hat Games, which has kind of been one of our favorite publishers. And a lot of their early stuff like Summoner Wars and City of Remnants and Dead of Winter made us really excited. So Starship Samurai's here and it's got these very uh, comp... Very detailed, very nice looking miniatures and spaceships and it's got space and it's got planets and it's kind of area control. So you're like, yep, I want to definitely put my spaceships and my giant mechs down on this board and conquer it and blat people and score influence and victory points. So I was ready for this. I was pumped. I understand. <laughs> wait. Matt raises his eyebrows wait, in, wait. in preparation. Did anyone else in this room read a lot into that pause? <laughs> wait. So uh, the, board's, the board's quite small. The idea being obviously that you're supposed to fight. I usually think of spaces like big and epic, but I ended up with like very big miniatures going on sort of normal sized spaces. Everything fills up really quickly once you deploy all your mm -hmm. forces. So I guess the point is, yep, you're supposed to fight and you're supposed to bump into each other. But the fighting only happens like once at the end of every whole, these four phases of play. Mm. So you don't fight that much in space. Uh, what you do do is you try and budge people out of the way in space. So you just try and fill up all the space as much as you can, because if you fill up a sector, then you get influence. But you don't do the area control thing of where you're like, oh, I'm in this sector, I get victory points. It can be like, I go slightly up this influence track, this and it goes boop. And then another sort of phase of things happen and you issue some different orders. There's four different orders you can issue and there's four different tokens that have different values from one to four. So it can be like, I pick my number one and I move one unit or I earn one credit or what, you know, whichever ones you spend are the ones you can't use on other actions, it's fine. And then the influence goes boop up a bit more because you've got enough people, it goes boop, okay. <laughs> And this goes around and then it's like, oh, now we can have a fight. I'm going to play my fight cards. I can't afford them because I don't have enough money because I didn't get enough money from doing the other. And boop, goes up. <laughs> and like, it looks really nice. The art's nice. It's got this cool thing where each round of play, the planets, the, the sectors that you fight over change. So it's like, oh, yep, you had enough influence in this sector. You keep this planet now. That goes in your planet set. There's a new different planet that means you'll increase boop, up a different <laughs> influence. But it was, you had this slow things where they, they you're, you're not just like earning victory points from holding a place. Are you okay there? You're not earning victory points from holding a place. You're getting a bit more influence in there. And if somebody takes over an area where you were, they don't earn points for it yet. They have to decrease your points first. Uh. So it goes, if you are increasing by like two points per round, boop. And they take over, it goes, boop. And you watch it go down. And the person who's like conquered your sector has to like wring out all the influence from your space towel before they can then soak their own influence. <laughs> and it, that was not that. So do players It's like up. someone else has put a towel on the beach, but you can remove their towel from the beach, but only after you've cleaned it. <laughs> it's exactly like that, but in space. 
So it's not is the it best part of being on a beach, is it? No. <laughs> or it, in space. Is it meant to be that players are disincentivized from going into places that you've taken because? But isn't that, wouldn't that be weird in an area control game? You'd want to stomp all over stuff rather than go. Oh, they've locked that down for like four turns. Like it's going to take me too long to undo that. I might as well not bother to have a big fight in space with my. It didn't feel I thematically wonder, like, sensible. It's strange to me because when you're describing this, it sounds in some ways like video games from about five, six years ago. Yeah. Um, of all of the little trackers and things yeah. down, which was just like okay, and there's a reason why things you do in video games that work really beautifully and make you feel good don't work the same way. But also, it sounds a lot like, um, in some ways, it sounds a lot like Rising Sun, of this sort of like area control, which. But having a strange disconnect with big miniatures like, and feeling like when you're having a fight here, you feel like it should matter, but it doesn't because yeah, there's there's an element of that, and you get all these cool ships, you get all these individual cool like giant space mechs, and they all have special powers, they all do different things. Like this one, I had one that made all of my fighters like one stronger, which is great. They they they're usually this strong, but now they're one stronger like Spinal Tap fighters, and that's great. <laughs> but they only like get to have a battle phase once at the end of each of each round of all of these other phases yeah. and then I was like I've got all these things that are supposed to fight and be exciting but they're not fighting that often right. and then you everybody can draw cards and spend money to play cards that can massively change that's, a battle that's the part you don't of, know what cards you see this is have. the part that sounds a yeah. lot like Rising Sun it's of funny that like, you, you say that like you get these especially and it's a thing which is like it's sort of amplified by the size of miniatures as well if you've got this really cool big thing that you want to fight with and then you don't actually get to fight that often yeah. it's sort of like you're waiting for something to happen I mean There's that's a, a problem that. yeah. people describe in Warhammer as well you know or like yeah. Certainly older editions of Warhammer where you know you have a cool miniature and then you know it's shot in the head from like 200 meters yeah, away. Yeah. And you're like, but I took it four weeks of paint and he's <laughs> the coolest man in the universe. He can't you must have cheated. <laughs> I only played Warhammer as when I was about nine, and it was mainly consisted of that. Yep. Brought back some memories. <laughs> <laughs> but it, you know, it was I I like the style of it, I like the look, the production value is nice, but it just didn't feel like epic space battles. It felt like you're all crammed in and then you sort of once you pick your spot, you're trying to hold your spot and just push people out. To and play it a, is like filling up a beach and trying to push the foreign to people. Play off. Space Devil's advocate. Uh oh. Um do you that think that is the like, worst kind of devil? Yeah. <laughs> space devils, they don't need any oxygen, so they can just for millions of miles. Do you need to lie down? <laughs> I really need to lie down. <laughs> to, play, to play Space Devil's Advocate. To play Space Devil's Advocate, samurai battles are kind of, like, you know, supposed to be slow, methodical until someone strikes a killing blow. So did it, did it, do you feel like the combat had any reflection of, like, samurai-style combat? <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing you're by your fish-like pursed-up pursed up lips. The answer is maybe no. No. No, okay. Okay, well, I, I tried. It's, it's a shame. I like the, the this order picking thing where it's like, I've got all these values, one to four, and it's like, do I want to get four credits or draw four cards or more? Four? You know, it's each of well, these that was, is only going to be how you do that That was thing. basically the same mechanic in Lowlands. If you had these workers that one could do four, one could do three, one could do two. So, so you're saying sheep are better than samurai. I was just thinking better. this. It's like people come to the live podcast and they queue for ages and they get the inside track that this like, going with all the amazing big samurai miniatures. And then there's us going... No. Sheep. See, just behind, they're literally on tables next to each other. It's like, see those little wooden sheep? That's the good stuff. 
But I was just thinking as you guys were talking how like um, when we played Lignum, which we talked about in the co- uh-huh. podcast last, that involves the same little wood log pieces as um, Lowlands. And they're lovely to touch, but not to like pick up. They're awful to pick up, but mm-hmm. they're so nice to rotate. Yes. And like it, it makes so much difference with the shape of your miniatures versus the shape of your pieces versus what they're used for. In Lowlands, mostly you rotate fences. Mm-hmm. And those pieces are lovely to rotate. In Lignum, you have to pick them up. You will never have a worse time picking anything up aside from like some kind of terrible date than like you will picking up those tiny little matchsticks. Oh, okay. Oh dear. What? Yeah, it's. I just got confused about the word date, but I'm, I'm there now. I'm with you. It's fine. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. On that point, again, I. You'd think in space with spaceships and things they'd be moving around a lot, but because I can only move a certain amount of times, it's like you plonk them down. You sort of sit there. I thought these things would be flying around and hitting each other, and you'd be knocking. And it's not happening. There is a real element of this in board games, I think, and I think it's something that increasingly, as people, as gamers do have. Uh, more flashy, fantastic art. We're seeing art getting mm. better all the time. Oh, and yeah. Fantastic miniature design and bigger minis all the time that you, every time you're doing this and you're amping this stuff up, you're you're changing, not just increasing the promise of the game, you're changing it. Yes. And if the design doesn't match up to that, isn't bombastic and, you know, I mean, I think actually, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of it anymore. I think I've played too much of it, but Kings of Tokyo is a game which does a really good job of being what it looks like on, you know, the pack. You get yes. these big cardboard things, these big chunky dice, and then mm. you just do silly big things all the time. And that's ideal. Absolutely. Uh, so let's move on to something we also absolutely loved that we thought was fascinating. It's been a great weekend for games. I, I just have interest. But how have people been playing, playing some really good stuff this weekend? Yeah. People finding some good stuff? Yeah? yeah. Good. Because I thought this year's been really good. good. We have not really played, played anything like... No, we've not played anything terrible. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy. <laughs> Go us. Well, right. Now we're going to talk about something that is definitely not terrible. We're going to talk about Quantified, which is by a small publisher called Quality Beast. So this is a co-op game that Matt and I played and Paul will now listen to and be like... Now it's like I know because so, I talked with them I want to hear this but I will throw in questions and things because I've got some of the mechanics and some of the ideas that's fascinating to yeah, me. Yeah, so this is a theme which I bet none of you have ever imagined. This is a data protection cooperative game. Hey! <laughs> Stick with me guys. So the way this works is uh, I loved how the demo opened that we all sat down and the woman teaching the game uh, who was one of the co-designers I think said um, oh, by the way, by where you've sat, you, and she pointed to the guy who we were just playing a game with, you're the migrant. And she pointed on the track, and, there are, and the, he was the lowest on the track. And the track has all these different rights. So you have a kind of star level, which is essentially your wealth, mm-hmm. um, and your place in society. And then there are a lot of bars in this day after tomorrow future scape that we're all trying to not escape, not dismantle, but just become rich enough in to live okay lives. And one of the bars was like right of movement. Now this is probably gonna sound more political and grim than, than it actually is. So right of movement is like, oh, if you don't have right of movement, if you're a migrant, if you're living you know, from like life to life in detention centers, you can't move through all these spaces on the board. But depending on where we'd sat, we all had different, like we're all different places on the track. We all had different rights. Mm-hmm. So Matt, who was the wealthy son of a gun, had the right to work, the right to privacy, the right to, not the right to privacy. That's the last no, one. I had a job. I had the right of communication. I had the right of movement. I had the right to work, to have an actual job. And uh, I, to be honest, had a pretty like easy deal right from the start. But that's not the game. The ga- It's a co-op game. And the game wins when all of us have all of our rights, which is a mix of both like getting jobs, working your way up the track, 
back, surviving, you know, thriving, and also like ensuring that you do political acts that mean the government don't, you know, you're heavily involved in uh, rioting or working with like uh, dissidents. And this is the central lovely mechanic is that whenever you, you can move as much as you want around the board, which is like a city, you can talk to people, you can work at your job, but everything you do, you reach into your little bag, you put down a little sort of crystal that looks like a little data crystal. And that is information the government has on you. So like it, it's, you know, we're seeing this now, but a lot of people are researching the ramifications of this like in the future. But like, as you move around the board, you leave a trail of crystals and they all yep. go at the end of your turn onto like the movement section of mm -hmm. like the government data. Whenever you max out any of these tracks, whenever you talk to too many radicals, whenever you move too fast, you start getting cards which are like, oh, you got caught jaywalking. Now you have to wear a tracker that makes sure you never jaywalk for a week. Or like, oh, you've been kind of like, you haven't been posting much on social media lately, so we're going to be watching your friends and family. There was a lovely event card, which was, oh, who's married? And then we all look at our cards, and it's like I'm betrayed at the house on the hill, where you're like, oh, there's extra information on my character card. And some of us were married, and some of us weren't. But it was like, those of you who are, who are not married must report to marriage camp. Yeah, basically, it was like a kind of partnering oh, thing to be like, oh, it's an important... Thing. So it's sort of set in a, a fictional world, and I'm not sure if there was like rioting represented. I seem to remember most of it being oh, there like, positive the, activism, but maybe oh, no, there was some. Yeah. It wasn't, no, it wasn't rioting, it was a protest that yeah. we had to attend at one point, which was this funny thing of like, suddenly all the mechanics start gelling in a way that meant, despite the fact there was almost no storytelling on the cards, the story just came to life, yeah. where it was like, oh, there's this really big problem that, okay, because you're all working together almost as if you're a family. So it's like, oh, we really need the, you know, the migrant player to get a job which means we need to improve their social standing, which mm -hmm. means we need to stop this thing that means they can't like, I don't know, they can't make money because there might be some, a, an event that means there's more pressure on like only members of society that have been vetted can get jobs, which meant I needed a protest, but that meant I needed contacts. I needed to make friends around the board, but every contact I made, people were finding out. They were finding out more data about me and there was some lovely stuff where initially you're just leaving data about yourself, but when it's like, ah, oh, you've been spending a lot of time with this person, you take their data crystals and put them oh, in your no. bag. Yeah. That was fascinating. It was basically like, uh, our player who was the, the refugee who had no real rights had a thing where it was like, yeah, you haven't been posting things on, they're basically worried about your social media and they says, well, so they're gonna be basically observing your friends and family to try and work out if you're a threat, a terrorist threat. <laughs> and so it just meant, he had to just give us five crystals from his bag and we just all mixed them into our bags as well. And it means that then, like, and then, oh no, sorry, it's the other way around. We, we got to, both kinds of events, yeah, yeah. We had to give him, like, five of each of ours, and then it meant when he was going around the table, dropping all this data, doing things, sometimes it was our data. And the thing I found really interesting about it is we each turn had four turns to do things, which I admittedly found four actually... Actions. Four actions, it's like pandemic. It's essentially like, you know, uh, like left-wing data protection pandemic. Yes, yes. But so, like clearly written in a way that was like superbly researched and mm. like absolutely fascinating and mechanically super cool. Yeah, like even the fact that it was really rough and the fact that oh, I was sort oh. of fine and it meant every time it was my turn I could do four things but I was like, uh, do two or three things and I'm like, I'm, I'm all right now really. Because <laughs> I could do things like I could increase my social standing but my social standing was already fine and I, I could help other people out a bit but I couldn't do that much and so I was like, I don't know what to do, I'm kind of fine but then other people were hustling to try and just boast themselves up, but because they had all these penalties on them, like they had to drop double data whilst moving around because they were being tracked for this, it just meant that like, things were just consistently bad for everyone else while I was like, kind of in the clear. Well, it did tell you a lot, like, uh, yeah, Clark, again, our friend Clark, who was a lawyer last night, if you came to last night's uh, fabulous uh, court trial. <laughs> um, yeah, he was, he had one card which meant that um, he dropped double data when he moved around because like the government were watching him very, very closely. 
But he couldn't really afford to leave that much data around because he was hanging out with some dodgy types and he had an illegal job, and we'll get to that later, but it meant he just stayed home. So mm -hmm. it's like a lot of interesting stuff in the game where it's like, if you are being watched closely enough, you stop doing things that mean you can't live a normal life. Yeah. And what's fascinating is when you get to the very top of the track, you finally get the right to privacy, which means you can do three things each turn that don't leave crystals, but leave black cubes that mm -hmm. reveal no data about you. So it's this lovely thing that is reflected in our society of like, if you are wealthy enough, if you are privileged enough, then the laws do not apply to you. The, no one is watching you. You know, it's like, you know, racial profiling and stuff in police work mm. by like, I might not, or airports, obvious example, yeah. right? So like- Privacy it, is a privilege. Yeah, like, and yet, yeah, it's yeah. the thing you need the most, you know, when you're a migrant. Well, this is the thing, everyone else kept filling up these tracks because every time you fill up one of these specific tracks for movement or drawing cars or work, you have to then take another bad card, which is the government being like, oh, I'm not sure about this. You posted some pretty negative things about the government online this week, so we're just gonna, <laughs> you know. Get, wow. It's like, yeah, because my life is awful. <laughs> Because I basically was at the top of the track and managed to bump myself over into the realm of having privacy, it meant that I wasn't really leaving any data anywhere. I was just happily yeah. milling around. No one was watching you, yeah. And uh, Also, a lovely mechanic I liked is one of the early bars you have to clear is the right to work. Which And there are loads of legal jobs you can get, all with different benefits, but there are also loads of illegal jobs, and anyone can get them. But it means that migrants who don't have the right to work, who don't have like you know the equivalent of social security in this sci-fi world, um, just had to do illegal work because you need money to improve how you look, to improve your social standing, which meant people were doing jobs like, you know, drug dealer, sex worker, or like a bunch of other illegal jobs that were less like, you know, exciting, but like, mm. but also then it's this weird thing of like, hey, as well, you're a migrant. If you're a sex worker, then you can use the benefit of finding out more about these people because, you know, you're connected to like, you know, politicians and people who might be like, you know, who you, you can go through their shit, but then also if the government's watching you anyway, then what do you care? Because they already think you're, you know, scum and they're giving you no rights, which means why not like just lean that, into that, that temporarily? That is all darkly relatable. <laughs> I mean, that is all, all of that just sounds like it, it couldn't tie together any more thematically or mechanically. Was it, as a game, was it like exciting and fun and did it feel tense? Did it feel- Miraculously for a game as like, you know, politically motivated as this, it was actually quite tense. Yeah, and there was, was some really interesting puzzles in it. Yeah, yeah, it needs, it needs a bit of work. It's still a bit early. I, I mm -hmm. felt that the turns were a little slow. It took a bit too long to get round to your turn as a co-op game. That's, you know, I found myself slightly getting on the cusp of checking out between turns because it was mm -hmm. taking a bit too long. But it has a lot of interesting stuff and it was quite exciting. And lovely stuff like uh, the way you lose the game is if enough big laws come in that are mm. just absolutely awful. And you have this thing that we have now of like when governments are thinking about laws, it's discussed for a long time before it actually happens. Mm -hmm. Which means sometimes you have a clock of like a law that means like, oh, illegal jobs will be like completely, you just can't get them anymore. And that's where the puzzle came in that was quite interesting. Because then you go, oh my, we've only got four turns before that law is enacted. We can stop it by doing this because it specifically tells you what to need to do. Yeah. But then you think, how do we do that? And then you've got to puzzle out how you can combine things like with communication if you have the right of communication you can give things to other players so you're like well if we can just bump that down by three then these two people can give these these cards and that's when it gets a bit pa more pandemic yeah, in terms yeah. of like trying to look ahead and work out how to solve the puzzle but we found it constantly quite damage limitation and the thing that was really bleak about our game as well is like everyone in the middle like the people who were like not me with a stable job and doing well as a migrant who's just fitting in and doing okay and not worried too much me and the refugee were just sort of stuck. Like I didn't really have any problems. And the refugee, we kept trying to just sort of bump him up to get him into the system a bit so he could then, and we couldn't. And it kind of seemed like the only way to win the game really was just to bump down all of the rights so everyone has rights really, rather than trying to get 
everyone up to the top. So that is which that was again, the like, solution? That <laughs> it's like, okay, every, this is really quite clever design. How to fix problems in the world? Just give everybody rights. Yeah, but it was fascinating, and and again, it's like it, it was just interesting to play a game which was just coming at a subject matter so differently. And yeah, yeah, they interviewed me afterwards, and I was saying, just again, it kind of re weirdly reminds me of Lowlands in that, like, yeah, you it's don't, a focus. Yeah, you don't need to do a big theme. You don't need to do like, what if Japan? What if farming? It's like, no, 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 no. Find something that interests you. It doesn't yeah. matter if it doesn't interest me. If it interests you, your game will be better mm. and your game will be different. Mm. It's almost like the write about what you know thing. Drill down on a topic, you care about it, you're passionate about it, you can make it interesting and entertaining, yep. even if it's cheap. Absolutely. We also got to say that this was a very basic prototype which had no art on it at the moment. And oh, but the art is looking fabulous. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. The, the graphic design work on it is already lovely. It's something yes. which is super basic. Um, the designer, I think it's Yana, I think, who has, has done a lot of just the basic design. It's already really sharp, but the art is crazy good. It's just so cool. Like nothing I've seen in the board game space at the moment. So it's definitely one to keep an eye out for because yep. I think it's, it's really something mm -hmm. quite odd and special. One more time. That's, uh, the game is called Quantified. That's by a publisher called Quality Beast who are now firmly on Shut Up and Sit Down's radar. Yes. They have a small booth on the upper level of the hall. And uh, yeah, if you drop by their stand, I think they've only got one copy, but uh, yeah, that could be worth going and playing. Yes. These guys have been very patient listening to us talk about board games for a while. Come to the end of the podcast. Shall we do our special feature? Shall I get the... Hang on. Uh-oh. A special feature of Vavazuela. <laughs> that sounds like Vikings. Run! They come for me. They've heard me dissing if, them. If everyone checks under their chair now... No! There's a Viking. Hello! <laughs> uh, <laughs> So we have some questions in the podcast document, but we thought, hey, 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 what, what if? So what if what we get if some wins went mad? Audience participation. This might not work. I, at I'm all. excited. But generally, when we go mad, this works. So here's the thing: if anyone has uh, a popular social media app called Twitter, oh, no. uh, then what you can do? We're going to do hot seat, quick fire, Viking raid questions. Now, anyone in this audience can tweet a question at us, and as they come in. Should we, how, should we take turns answering the questions? Yes. So quick fire, quick fire. Okay, right. So what people can do, I've got the app twi Twitter <laughs> on my phone. It's great. You just press a button and they use your data to give you better goods and services. They don't. I just sent them everything and they said thanks. And that was very kind of them. Where are you, Quins? Where are you right now? I said, I like am these in. trainers? This is my house. I do want those trainers. <laughs> Okay, so if anyone would like to ask Dwestrud anything... This is a question of how long does it take people to type a message live. Yep, or think of a question. Right, okay, hang on. I'm going to... Paul, are you ready? No. Ah! Uh, John Wenscott <laughs> asks, what one thing should we see tomorrow if we can? Uh, we haven't talked about... Uh, there we go. <laughs> Next question. Sorry. Museums. We haven't talked about museums that much. It's a set collection card game where you build museums. And like in a real museum, you build a set of things. Like I had a set of boats in my main hall. People come in, they look at the boats, go, that's really good. And if I go, yes, history, it is. If you're into history, it is banging. Also, I think oh. we talked about... We talked <laughs> about if you're into history, it is banging. No, wait. Wait, wait, and the map. Real history. And the map. There was a map I had in my museum, which is a real map that Polynesian people had, which is they just hang shells to represent islands in a thing, and it's uh, a real, real kind of map that they had. It's got the best art I've seen in a long game in a while. That's museum. We've got T. A. Wilkinson. What are your thoughts on the new Century game and how it mashes together with Spice Road? I can answer oh, that. We haven't played it. Oh. Uh, Henry, St <laughs> Henry Stenhouse. Have you played? Reinek Nitya's Penguin Party. It's ace. Is that a real game? Uh, Matthew Vanell asks, games at home that you wish you could play more of? Brackets, no limits. <laughs> no limits? Yeah. 
As in, like, what if you have no limits? You can oh. do anything, you can think anything, you can say anything. I want to play Laser Squash. It's a game I just invented. It's squash in the year 2500. Paul? <laughs> <laughs> For the people at home, Paul has pulled a face of terror. I've never even words. played the game of squash. I just like the idea of Laser Squash. You'd be good at squash, you've got long arms. And you're very fast. I, d I don't know, all of them. All of them. Great answer, Paul. Federico Garza says, can we have a small claims court RPG with Clark as GM? Yes. That's a reference to the last podcast. Gosh, that would be a fun thing to do at Shucks. Uh, Triumvine tri asks, what's the most mechanically and thematically tight game you've played so far this year? Uh, <laughs> this was a terrible... Actually, this is fine because I don't have to do it. Uh, I'm just putting you guys in the hot seat. Really, really Thematically good. and mechanically tight. Mm, War of the Ring? Mm, we should just say that because we played it this week, though, yep. aren't we? Yeah. That's cheeky, cheesy. Well, Pat think, well, Matt I think, thinks... Oh, it's easy. It's Fog of Love. It's Fog of Love. Oh, oh there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't Very play those. Well, we played it yeah. this year. Uh, Yarrow asks, Bear versus Viking, who wins? Bear. Uh, Dr. Ed Hope asks, Shucks UK? And the answer is, if we don't bankrupt the company doing the first one, maybe. Uh, no, honestly, we are looking into that. That is something we are considering and trying to work out, but it's very difficult. Because it's very difficult. I mean, anyone who has seen our actual booth where we're selling merch <laughs> this year, you've got to bear in mind, Shucks, if anyone wants to come out to Canada, it's going to be so good because it's not being organized by me. But when we have people in the UK trying to organize things, we end up with signs made of cardboard. <laughs> so be careful what you wish for. Uh, Overboard Games asks, what can you give about moving from... What what advice can you give about moving from a digital space reviewer slash podcaster to physical reviewer? I can answer this. You have to squat by tables loads. Yes, you yeah. do. Get cushions on the floor, otherwise your knees will be yeah, broken. Frame it. Framing is hard. It, it you is. Would, people, we love it when people try and film board games, like colleagues of ours, and because they, they always come back and say, filming board games is really hard. And it's like, yeah, we know. It's impossible. You get really good at getting up off the floor and getting down the floor very quickly. And everything is shiny. And also, people don't realize this. When you stand up or you're sitting properly, your voice can project. But if you're Hello. squatted and compressed and you talk like this, then it's difficult. Patrick Hicks asks, are you sure the Vikings aren't sneaking hot dogs from the nearby stand? They're delicious. Patrick, <laughs> there's just no way to be sure. Sears <laughs> for Chipper asks, what were your thoughts about Dice Garden from yesterday? Yeah, good question. Oh, we harvest said, dice. Harvest dice, harvest yes. Dice. Ah, oh, that was quite good. You yeah. got to roll dice and you got to put different carrots and tomatoes and lettuces down and then they, some of them got more valuable and I got to draw a, fa a different face on every tomato. Yes, most roll and write games have you writing numbers. Harvest dice has you drawing vegetables. Which Harvest dice. Mistletoe and dice. Children sing. Children and dice. Roll and write games are taken off at the moment. Yeah, we're going to be reviewing a few uh, roll and write games uh, later in the year because we got to jump on that caboose. Um, late. Yeah, I liked Harvest Dice because I drew a really good lettuce in my first square and then I had to realise I had to draw like 15 more and then it just went to hell. I, I drew a carrot that was really big and didn't fit in the square just to say, you know, like... Yeah, your, your carrots kept not fitting in the squares. That was... Hilarious. <laughs> Boardroom UK asks, Matt, did you get the 65 pounds from Quinn? CUP asks, between Reef and Space Trucker, which is the better for introducing tabletops and new players? <laughs> we, did, did that happen? We hasn't given it me wait, yet. CPU, can you put up your hands if you're CPU? How did you play Reef? Here, it's here. That's news to me. Oh, lovely stuff. Well, I'm going to be trying to find that next tomorrow. Uh, Sam asks, Lowland's art is not good. Is that okay? Lowland's art is good. It seemed okay. It's really, the art design's really readable. Yeah, it's it's fine. just a picture of a sheep. Like, 
it's not a space marine cutting an orc in half. It's a sheep, because it's a game about sheep. And it's I'll tell fine. you what, the sheep on the box looks super coquettish. It's like, it's like not... It's like... <laughs> no, it's the sheep on the box is looking at you with side eye while the, the sea rages behind, as if to say, I told you. I told you the sea was going to be a problem, but you didn't listen. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not bad. The box art is lovely. The art's probably a bit basic, but it's not offensive. I think I'm fine with that. Like, it's only when art is, like, offensive that it's, I get annoyed. It's simple. It's plain. It's fine. It's like, it's not bad. It's drawn by a really competent artist. Yeah, where are you, man? Where's, what's going on with it? Where's the, where's the bad art, Lowlands man? Put your hand up. Oh, dear. You, you're bad. <laughs> Everyone's allowed opinions. Quentin's uh, got a... Dagda86 asks, thoughts on Black Mirror? That's good. Yeah, it's all right. So, My wife oh. could do a better job writing it than uh, the latest season. I'll tell you that much. Ooh. Uh, Average Gamers asks, favorite race in Twilight Imperium? Ooh, that's a good one. Space uh, cats. Space sexy cats. turtles. Well, wormhole sexy people, turtles. The people sexy have the turtles. wormhole and they live on the other side. Oh, of the it. ghosts of like Christ. The, yeah, because I got to be them once and be grumpy. Uh, I like the Emiratis of Hakan because peop- if you're in the game, people go, We want to form a trade deal, can we? And you go, No. No. <laughs> Uh, Rosie asks, ideal sign making material, brackets, no limits. <laughs> Good one, Rosie. Uh, oh boy. Steel. I can make a sign. Steel. No, 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 no. This is why you're not allowed to make our signs. What would you make it out of? Ghost glass. Charlotte Hewitt asks, who takes the longest turns when you guys play a game together? Oh. We were talking about this today because it's funny that some games break different ones of us. Yes. I get broken by really simple things. Like, number nine just destroyed me. You, it was funny. Uh, I thought I was going to have an aneurysm playing number nine. I I noticed something. I actually, did I get up and scream whilst playing that? You walked away from the table. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But we noticed I'm playing Lowlands where, because there was a game of Concordia where Matt did the same thing. When Matt has... (laughs) I don't do this, so I can laugh. Um, But when Matt has really bad opening turns of Euro games, he activates. And then immediately kind of not stops having fun, but falls into a sort of like... Fugue state. uh, His mind palace opens. (laughs) His mind... And he doesn't smile for an hour and a half. It's funny, yeah, the the lady who had kindly taught us the game came in at the end, and I was just sitting there going, and just swearing a lot. And she was like, oh, and I was like, Quince had to reassure that this was a good thing. He's having fun. (laughs) Because they filled up the market with sheep, and I was going to sell my sheep, and you... Uh, uh, Chanwa40 asks, are you having a lovely time? We are. Yeah. 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 I don't know where you are. Are you guys having a lovely time? Yeah. I'm Not glad we ended the podcast obviously. with something less bleak than talking about data protection. <laughs> uh, we can just keep going. Who likes this dragon? Quinns loves this dragon this year. Oh, yeah, I really like this dragon because uh, oh, people can't see. It's not quite... Oh, I can't quite lift it up. I can lift it up. Uh, this is great. Not great podcast material, Matt. <laughs> it's a bit visual. Right, okay, hang on. So if people look, oh. the woman in the... Oh, my God. <laughs> This is getting editing out of the podcast. Uh, so if people look, the woman in green who's on the back of the dragon, I love because she's holding a kind of homunculus. Like, <laughs> a really, I, for, the, for what it's worth, I love this artist. I think the dragon at the UK Games Expo gets cooler every year. I really love the dragon. But yeah, the fact that, like, all the people, if you start looking closely, it starts getting really creepy, really. Yeah. <laughs> really fast. Keith Coventry asks, best game of all time. Oh, dear. It's tennis. Yes, it is tennis. That's good. There we go. Uh, Okay, right. Also, this room's room's very hot and our time is up. But show of hands if you want us to keep going for another few minutes. That's about half the room. If you'd... (laughs) That's hilarious. Um, What do we do now? (laughs) Half the room is like, just stop. (laughs) 
Just stop. Oh, dear me. Uh, I genuinely... F- what do we do? How many more, what, Is how it many? more important we placate our fans or... Oh no! All right. This is this is how we die. This never ends. It's just a sobbing into the microphone saying, "Could we go yet?" And a load of hands go up to say no. Sadie asks, it's "Like ladies or Kamat?" Inish. Inish. Correct. Uh, says someone in the audience. Uh, Jane Matthews asks, "Have you gone mad on the Mountain of Madness?" Paul, you played Mountains of Madness. Uh, yeah, didn't you? we talked about this briefly on a podcast, but yes. And I wish I could have gone mad more because it has this thing. You climb up the mountain, you need a certain amount of resource cards each turn to get further up. If things don't quite work, you draw a madness card, and the madness card is something like, you're still playing the game, but you're constantly poking another player, <laughs> or you're speaking in sentences that are five words long. <laughs> Try and do that while I'm doing this. And I wish there was just more of that in the game. That's not Mountain of Madness, that's a Mountain of Getting Lamped. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Wilson Wales asks, are you excited Amazon is picking up The Expanse? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's my favourite. I love accents that are not the ones you hear all the time and The Expanse has loads. It's got loads. At least four. Do people know about the thing with The Expanse's casting whereby, because uh, in the book everyone is like crazy mixed race and because um, it's the future and so then the casting agents were like, obviously we can't do this for the series and the showrunners went, yeah you can. <laughs> and they found all those actors and everyone is the same. Oh, not everyone, I don't know. But you were telling me this. Yeah, no, I thought you told me. <gasps> Maybe we made it up. <laughs> <laughs> Boardly Games asks, what is your favorite ugly game? Oh, it might be sidereal, sidereal. Concordia. Oh no, Concordia looks it's, classic. It's not that ugly. Concordia has the worst cover. I, I love that be. they gave Concordia's cover a facelift. In fact, proof that Concordia isn't that ugly is that they changed the cover, uh, but didn't feel the need to change the board. I, I don't what, think it's. I don't think it's ugly. Me I think probably uh, sidereal confluence. Oh, is that good? Mm. That answer. game is real ugly. Well, is I love really? that we reviewed sidereal, being like, yeah, it's a bit ugly, and then um, one of the guys from Whiskits came into our comment, going like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> is it really bad if I say code names quickly? No, that's a great answer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, James Jordan asks, "We can't see your back. We we can't see you back here. What are oh, you poor things back there? Sorry. Uh, what can't? What? Sorry. What are your favourite things about each other's faces?" <laughs> We're pretty end with this question. question. That's a good question. Look at me, boys. Look at me. Let's sweat this I, out. That's I don't want to look at either of you now because I can't. I can't handle it. Don't make me look into his eyes. Look at me, ball. Bale. Bale. Someone else go first. I. I really like Matt's nose. I really do. It's like such a strong no- Roman. I think it's got a Roman nose. Yeah, I think so. Uh, it's just, it's such like a good, I don't know, it's a good no. Like I swear back in like medieval times, if you had a good nose, it was a sign that you were like a god or like, not a god, but like, you know. Keep talking. Strong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean like strong features used to be, like if you read old books, it's sometimes like, I saw him from across the room. He had a great chin, you mm. know? It's like, and that was like a sign of something. <laughs> Just look at me. Do you not have one for me? (laughs) I'm waiting for you to. Oh, are we both doing that? Yeah, sure. Let's let's both do Matt. Hello. Oh my God. I think Paul has very. (laughs) Very brooding eyes. They're they're a bit raccoon at the moment. Take your glasses off, Paul. Take your glasses off. Whoa. (laughs) It's like Superman. (laughs) I think your eyes are aging really well, Paul. I think you're getting. I think you've got the thousand-yard stare of a man who... Oh, I just remembered the Dice Tower on next, and we've overrun. 
Tom Bass is going to murder us. Thanks I for like coming, beards. everybody. Uh, the beards, they've got good beards. <laughs>